The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from different places in Southern California this morning. So thrilled to be here with you. Uh, I've got to start with a programming note um, that we've had all kinds of things going on here. And we last minute made the decision to not do a live show yesterday morning. And I apologize because normally we have Dr. Doreen Grampiche and she sends her regrets. She was under the weather and it was also a strategic decision that we felt that a lot of you wanted to be watching the inauguration and um, and it was worth watching. Oh my gosh, we have to talk about this lovely young woman whose name uh, escapes me, but the, if you did not get a chance to see the poet laureate speak, you, you need to, I don't care what your politics are, you need to set that aside and go listen to this young woman speak. I had heard a little bit about her beforehand, uh, but when she stepped up to that microphone and she was wearing this gorgeous yellow coat with this red like tiara thing in her hair and some jewels in her hair. And I was like, oh, get ready world. Cause this, I thought she was a child cause I had heard that she was the first youth poet laureate, but that had been a couple of years ago. She's 22, she's not a youth, she's an adult woman. But yes, John is saying she was amazing. So here's the piece that I did not know when I was watching her, but I've heard so many reports last night. This was a special needs student. Yes, my friends. Um, this, This precious young woman was born premature. Yes, Amanda Gorman, thank you. Uh, thank you, Traven. I'm so bad with names. Amanda Gorman, look her up, you guys. Amazing. She um, was born premature and had learning disabilities and then later had a speech impediment. If you look at some of her earlier interviews, you will see that she's worked very hard. She has what we call in the speech world a baby R. And I was not detecting it when she was on the podium yesterday. But in her earlier interviews, I because I used to do... Um, you know, eradication of dialects, not speech therapy, but eradication of dialects and helping with uh, placement for different things um, when I when I taught college, you know, and because uh, I taught voice and diction, among other things. So uh, so I'm a little bit familiar with those. So she has what we call a tiny R, a baby R in some uh, contexts, but she's worked tirelessly to uh, correct that because she said, I was not gonna let that stand in the way of me speaking my truth. Woo! Oh my goodness. Um, and she plans on running for president. I think uh, they said in 2032 and like, where can I sign up to vote now? <laughs> oh my goodness, this young woman. Uh, and, and of course there were so many other things about this inauguration 
uh, when they swore in Kamala Harris, I like sobbed the ugly sob and tears and, and hysteria. My husband had like, I was screaming. It would happen earlier than I thought it was going to happen. And I was screaming saying it's happening. And uh, cause here in California, it was on the earlier side. My husband came random downstairs and he's like, what's going, we thought that it was happening at nine o'clock straight up. And it didn't, it, all, it was all over by nine o'clock straight up. So I was screaming and yelling and my husband came running downstairs and I was sobbing and I fell into his arms. I mean, it's a big deal for so many different reasons, right? But I, I, was, I just kept sobbing and saying, I wish my mother were alive to see this. In any case, I thought that that was gonna be the pinnacle of the whole thing. No, stop, Amanda Goring was the pinnacle of the entire thing. Ugh. Um, uh, and, uh, John is saying, she said this morning that three years ago, she would not have been able to give that poem. And, you know, I just think, I think she is a, a rising star. She's already a star, but she heard she's going to go much further. So if you missed it, you must go back and watch it and then watch earlier interviews with her or everybody's going to want her to be on their show to talk. Uh, you're you're going to see a lot of her in the coming days because she's phenomenal. So in any case, we didn't do the live show yesterday. And um, so I apologize. And I don't have an expert here for you today, but there somebody had written in a question that we were going to address yesterday. And we are going to address it here from the perspective of caregiver. Because, you know, I always say to you, we have lots of experts on the show, but I'm not one of them. I do say, though, that I've been in the trenches uh, on this for a long time, and I've learned a thing or two and can connect people to other things. So I'm going to try um, to do that for this parent that's written in in just a few minutes. But um, And we'll, we're going to take all of your questions and have uh, many discussions about many things here. But I'm excited to be here with you today because I... Um, I think we're going to see a lot of things happening over the next couple of days. And I, for one, am very interested to see what happens in the education arena. And I'm very excited to see what happens in terms of our special needs community. I can tell you that um, a few years ago, um, there was a, a large group of people who had been put together to write policy um, agenda and uh, recommendations, not actual policy, but recommendations to then candidate Hillary Clinton. Um, so that, you know, cause she would always say, I am ready to take office day one and I have plans starting in day one because she for the 18 months before the election had had this group of people, all volunteers, luminaries from all aspects of, and I know that that was just one committee that was the special needs, different abilities uh, committee. And I know that she had them for lots of other things. And uh, I happened to be one of the people who served on these. I was on the education committee and we were looking at the IEP process and the 504 process and um, IDEA and fully funding IDEA. And ultimately our recommendations were that, you know, we can make all the plans in the world, but if you don't fully fund IDEA, you're not going to be able to implement any of these things. We were making that recommendation uh, to, as I said, then candidate Hillary Clinton. And then when she didn't win, I have to tell you, it was very personal for me. Uh, I will also say that my very dear friend who passed away last June, uh, Joanne Lara, served on the employment uh, committee that was helping. And 
And Hillary Clinton, you know, before the election, uh, rolled out her plan for employment for autism, which uh, I, you know, my friend Joanne Laura, you can see her living and breathing in that document um, and that policy that Hillary Clinton uh, put forward. So it was such a loss when Hillary Clinton didn't win because we thought of all that work that wasn't going to happen. Um, but over the last four years, that work was maintained. I chose not to continue on the on the committee. Joanne was ill, and uh, both she and I said we have other things that we have to work on right now. And subsequently, she passed away. But I know that all of that work has continued, and I know that candidate Biden said that he was going to be the first president to fully fund IDEA. If that happens, I will. we will alert the media and I will alert you um, because that is something that would be a game changer for our community. Uh, again, I, you know, I, I, I want to say this is not about politics and partisanship. Um, we try to you know, look at everybody's policy and comment on it here. I'm just telling you what I know in terms of what this particular candidate has said and the policies and the people who have been advising him. If um, if he does what he says he was going to do, it will be the first time ever that IDEA, since its inception, has been fully funded, which means that there's a real possibility that when you go to the 504, or the IEP meeting, you won't have to be fighting for something because of the cost of it. Because what has happened over the last 20 whatever years since IDEA was put into place, I guess it's 30, almost 30 years, um, is that the school knows that they cannot fully fund it. They don't, they didn't, you know, it's like saying to somebody, um, well, I want you to put in a new lawn and a lawn costs $5,000, but I'm only gonna give you 1,300. And so now you got to figure out, do I just do part of the lawn? Do I do all of the lawn, but I go with a lesser grade of grass that isn't going to, you know, uh, work? Uh, do I try to do some of the work myself? Or, you know, what do I do? Schools have had to rob Peter to pay Paul. And it's why you find yourself in an IEP fighting for services. And you ask yourself, why am I having to fight for this? This is federally mandated that my child deserves this. Why are you giving me a hard time? Because they know they can't fund it. And it's really shame on every politician for not uh, fully funding IDA, for putting the policy forward and saying, yes, this is what we think is right, but then we're not going to give you the money for it. Mm -mm 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 -mm. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, but that was one of his campaign promises that it was that he would fully fund IDEA. That, again, I will alert you if that happens. Okay, so I've gotten a little far afield, but I had to talk about the Amanda Goring thing for a second because she was delightful um, and a real testament to our kids and how people can overcome challenges. So, ooh, so delightful. All right, um, we are live and it is Tuesday, uh, excuse me, it's Thursday, it's not Tuesday. It's Thursday, the 21st of January, 2021. And so you guys can be writing in your comments. We have lots of different ways for you to interact. We are live right now on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitter. And you can write in on any of those platforms, as many of you already have. Um, hello, Helen, and hello, Amanda, and hello, John. Um, 
write in on any of those platforms. It pops up on my screen almost in real time. And you can feel free to write in your comment, your question. Um, Helen has said that fully funding IDEA would be excellent. And I agree with you, Helen. I'm like right there with you. Uh, it's the right thing to do. Let's hope that it happens. I'm hoping that our since our first lady is a, uh, a, a lifelong school teacher uh, who's still working and still in the classroom, I'm hoping that she's going to be there to fight for all of our teachers and for all of our kids. So let's hope. But uh, Traven is showing you all the places that you can watch this show when it's not live. So we podcast, we record the whole show and it podcasts on all those platforms that I was just saying, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitter. You can find the whole show there. And then the whole show is podcast uh, to every place that carries podcasts for free. We are a free download on iTunes, Apple Music, Google, Spotify, all Deezer, all those places. We're free. Now, um, if you watch the show, you'll see that when we have a guest on the show, later we will cut just that interview with that guest and put it on our YouTube channel. And the reason why we do that is that we cover so much ground in a show that it's hard to tell you all the different things so that when you're searching for it, to be able to find all the things that we're talking about is really uh, hard, right? So we will cut the interviews out as highlights and then what Traven does so beautifully is that he'll put like the name of the guest and, and the topic that they're talking about so that if you want to go to our homepage, autism-live.com or to our YouTube channel, you can put keywords in if you don't know the name of the guest, but you know that they were, for instance, talking about pandas, which I'm going to talk about in just a second, you could just put pandas in and it will show you all of the interview clips that we've done about pandas. So that's why we do what we do. Um, but that's only on our homepage and on YouTube. Every place else, it's the whole show. So I hope that you will search our site to find the information that you want. And there's lots of different ways on our site. Like if you know a topic, like some of you just like the jargon of the day, and I get it. We're going to do it in just a minute. And so we have a channel on our homepage and on our YouTube channel that's just the jargon of the day. And you can go there and see all of the videos for jargon of the day. If you just like the recipes, because normally we carry a lot of recipes, we haven't been doing it in, in COVID um, as much because we can't be filming, but we have a whole playlist of fabulous recipes for you that are... Um, allergy friendly and uh, different autism diet friendly. It's a whole playlist about that, right? But you can also, we have the uh, Ask Dr. Doreen's, you can search those by topic and you can just, like you can put in toilet training and it'll show you every question that's been asked about toilet training and you can click the one that you want because toilet training is pretty broad, right? Um, and, you know, the question that you have may have already been answered. So there we go. Um, but thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that we have an opportunity to bring that to you guys free of charge. It's really important to us. Our mission here is to provide infra information and inspiration to the larger autism community. And I always remind you that we are all about that larger autism community, which starts, of course, with people who are on the spectrum. They are the heart of everything we do, right? But we also include in our discussion and topics everyone who loves those individuals, because we feel that if we can empower that entire group to be able to get to the resources and 
the respect and the funding and all of that stuff that we will be uh, being of better service. Good morning to Avani. So thrilled that you're here. Okay. So uh, I, I do remind you, I'm not an expert, but you know, I have an opinion. I, I, I guess I have an informed opinion after 13 years of covering autism. And I think we decided it was 16 years that since, uh, since my son was diagnosed with autism. Um, yeah, something like that. Something like that. I don't know. I'm bad at the math, but uh, it's just an informed opinion. I'm not an expert in autism. I'm not, a, I'm not really an expert in anything. Like certainly not an expert in floor tiles. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so I don't know. That's just what popped into my head. Uh, <laughs> all right. We do like to start the show on Thursdays with, and thank you. I, I see a question coming. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Uh, we do like to sh start the show on Thursdays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are the experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Why would we do this? You know, why, 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 why do I have to be in a place where I have to learn these things? I will be honest with you for years, uh, you know, after my son was diagnosed, I was just so angry and resentful about the jargon. I just felt like, why do I, on top of everything else we have to go through, why do I have to learn this stupid stuff? It didn't, you know, I was just angry at it. And then I kind of rounded the corner and said, well, maybe it would help if I learned it. And it did. It did. So I was so overwhelmed by it, but that's why we do jargon. First, we give you the term. Then I give you the actual definition of it. Then whenever possible, filled with resentment and bitterness, I make fun of the actual definition because it's often useless. And then we give you a working definition, which is also often worthless. But then I try to give you an example and hopefully that's not worthless. Sometimes it is though, but I just want to caution you first time, don't sweat it. We go back over all of these terms uh, every so often and you will get it. I promise you, you will get it because some, but sometimes it just takes the experience of seeing it in action before you go, oh, that's what it is. Okay. Now I get it. Right. So here we go. Here is our jargon term mass trial. Doesn't it sound like you know, a bunch of people on trial? Like it's the, the trial of the Chicago seven, right? I, I just remember they would talk about, well, we'll mass trial it. And I was like, what does that mean? Are you going to take a bunch of children and you're going to try it before you try it with my son? What does that mean? I didn't understand it for at least the first year of ABA. So let's destigmatize this. It has nothing to do with going to court. It has nothing to do with lots of children. It's more about uh, lots of targets. So let's take a look at what our actual definition of mass trial. Mass trial is repeated consecutive trials of the same SD and target. Okay. You know, if you don't know what a trial is, then this is of no use to you. If you don't know what an SD is, this is of no use to you. I think we all know what a target is, but what, like, I think of a bullseye, like, you know, uh, nothing that I want to associate with my child, right? So almost useless, right? And it's so short. You're like, I want to understand it, but what in the heck does that mean? So let's take a look at our working definition and see if we can't make heads nor tails of this. So getting your child or the individual to demonstrate exactly the same target behavior. So 
I said this is about lots of different uh, exemplars or targets or lessons, right? It is, but doing them one at a time. So I, I want to learn something that I don't know. Let's say that I'm learning Russian. Uh, and it's a language that I don't speak. And I want to know, uh, I want to be fluent in Russian, right? Because in a lot of cases, we are teaching our children the English language. And we want them to be fluent in it. And by the way, fluency, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, you're talking about being vocally verbal. Mm, not necessarily. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we communicate. And we want our all of our individuals, whether they're children, teens, or adults, we want them to have functional communication. Well, functional communication means that I understand everything that you're saying, and verbal behavior is more than just vocal. So, uh, you know, I, I don't understand hand signals. I hate it when I'm in a parking lot and they're like, you know, they're like, and I'm like, what does that mean? And I have to roll down the window and go, what are you saying? Uh, I want to go to one of those SEAL camps where they teach the, you know, this and that and what that means, you know, that I'm looking at you and we want two people to go around. I don't, I, even when I'm watching a movie, I'm like, what does that mean? I don't get it. I don't get gestures. Um, that's my particular thing, right? We want people to understand gestures within reason, right? If we're doing sign, we really want them to understand gestures, um, we want for people to receptively hear things and understand them, and we want them to be able to express. Now that, you know, we'd love to have that be vocal, can't always get that, but a lot of times we can. But there's much more to expressing yourself than just being vocal. We, you know, we want them to make a face when they're thinking and feeling something. Don't you like have a hard time reading people who have a very flat affect that they're you know, the, the king of that. And they have the prosody that where they're, you know, they don't, they're, everything they say is on the same level. The king of that is, um, oh, what is Ben Stein uh, from Ferris Bueller's Day Out, Bueller, Bueller. And then he does those Visine commercials. And he's like, if you want to have, you know, <laughs> if you want to stop having dry eye, and it's hard to tell whether he's making fun of it or not, because he's a very flat affect. There's no facial expression. And he says it all monotone. Um, you know, we want to help people to understand everything. So uh, getting back to, there's a lot of things to teach. We can't teach them all at the same time. So there's two different techniques that we will hear therapists uh, and our, our BCBA is talking about. We're going to give the other one um, on Monday, I think. So there's mass trial and random rotation. Today we're talking about mass trials. So if they say to you, well, we're gonna mass trial pen, um, then what that means, the other day we talked about errorless learning and that we would only have the pen and we would say touch pen. So mass trial is where we have the same thing that we want them to learn. So if, if the thing that I wanted you to learn was touch pen, then we would have you touch the pen and only the pen. Uh, the, th the difference between mass trial and errorless learning is that I may eventually put, you know, the pen with other things. Like I, I could have the water bottle here and I'm not teaching water bottle. I'm just saying touch the pen and the, and the individual touches the pen and I go, great job. And now I might put, I've got my essential oil here. You can't really see it, but now I've got the three things and I say touch pen. And 
you know, and I can help the child with errorless learning by guiding their hand over and helping hand over hand very gently, having them touch the pen. And I go, woohoo, you did it. But the thing that I'm not doing is I'm not teaching the difference between pen and water. Later on, I'm going to random rotate. And sometimes I'm going to say touch pen and sometimes I'm going to say water. Now, it all looks ridiculous. And when you see a videotape of somebody teaching an individual this way, you go, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I just want to point out to you, when you're seeing it, it is, a, it is like the smallest little phase of the beginning of teaching. Let me go back to my example about learning Russia, Russian. If I'm trying to learn Russian, um, and I and I you say that immersive language is the best possible thing, yes, that's true because I'm going to be flooded with it, but it's important that it be as specific as possible for me to learn it quickly. This is what a lot of those Rosetta Stone and places like that have capitalized on. But because if I, you know, I go to Russia, I'm getting immersive, but somebody said, I don't speak Russian, but they say a whole stream of thing and pen is one of the words in it. It's going to take me so long to learn which one is the pen. If I'm motivated and if I'm really wanting to learn Russian and really want to know what the pen is, I'm going to figure it out, right? But I got to be super motivated. It would be much easier for me to learn pen if somebody was saying to me, you know, whatever the Russian word is for pen. And, and they said it a bunch of different times. And then I got to hear it in the sentence. I would really pick it up fast. Well, that's exactly what ABA does. So that little, but notice that I, like they would say pen to me a bunch of different times, but then I would quickly go and have it in the real world. That's what really good ABA does is it will give me so that I go, oh, okay, what this is, is the pen, but then we're going to put it into real life and we're going to go play a game. And, and while we're playing the game, somebody's going to say, hand me the pen. You know, it, we're going to put it into real life as soon as possible. Magical pens, Samar says. Yeah. So um, in any case, so that mass trial just means that we, I don't know why that's the term for it, because it, it sounds like we're sending everybody on a death march. We're not. Uh, it just means taking one exemplar, one target, I'm trying to teach pen, and I'm going to teach pen until I'm 100% sure that we get it. And I'll tell you the trick here is that then they'll move on to something else. So for instance, pen is a bad example. Let's say I'm trying to teach colors. I don't teach all the colors at once. I start out and maybe I teach red right? Red's a pretty good one because it's a, you know, pretty blue. Uh, sometimes they start with blue. We like words that are short and kind of easy to uh, hear and easy to um, identify. So maybe I start with blue and I teach the color blue. I'm, I'm not teaching red at the same time. I, you know, I put the card there and I say, touch blue. Yay, that's blue, right? Errorless learning. Then I put a red card and a yellow card there and I say, touch blue. Now I've got distractors there, but I'm not teaching those yet. So I teach blue and I rearrange them and you know, blue and I do it two dimensional and I do it three dimensional and I, I teach different you know, things, uh, different, put it in different areas. We teach blue, blue, blue. And if the child is consistently getting it right, great. Now that's mass trialing. I'm only teaching blue. Then I mass trial red. Now, blue is there, but I'm not teaching blue right now. So I say to the child, touch red. Now, the child's going to go to touch blue, and I don't 
chastise them. I just move their hand over and go, there's red. Yay, you got it right. Errol is learning, right? But I'm teaching red and I'll rearrange them, you know, touch red. Boom, they, they got the red. Fabulous. And I'll keep doing red. Eventually, I get to the point where I have sufficiently mastered red. I've sufficiently mastered blue. And now I'm really going to move into the discriminative phase of DTT, discriminative uh, trial uh, teaching. And I'm going to have the red one and the blue one there. And I'm going to say touch red. And the child is going to be, begin to see, I see this one means red and this one means blue. And the language starts to seep in. That's how we teach. Now, it's a phase. It's like this long this long because very quickly it's just like when Helen Keller was being taught to communicate that it takes a lot of time to teach the first two. You got to put the time in, you got to put the energy in. And the third one still takes a little bit more time, but once, once the child gets it, ah, I get it. So when you say, it means this color. Okay, game on. Now I'm with you. And, and they've learned. And when I get the, get it right, you reinforce me and my life is good. And they become a sponge. This is how it works. But that phase of teaching, super short. And then we take it and put it in the real world. Now we're in the car and we go, uh, you know, I spy something green uh, after we've taught green. Or, you know, uh, what color is the street light? It's red. And I reinforce and we have that be in the real world. That's when it gets really exciting. But that beginning phase uh, where we're errorless teaching and we're doing mass trialing, just because it looks funny, don't discount it. It's the basis upon which we're able to get to that moment where they go, I get it. This one's red and this one's blue. And that's the beginning of everything, everything. So don't give up on that. It works. It's, the science is in. It absolutely works. Uh, okay, moving on. We always have a question of the day for you. And our question today is, it's not mass trial. Uh, <laughs> it's coming. It is, where do you feel the safest? I'm so glad that this is the question today because it's going to fit right in with what we're talking about. And I didn't even plan it that way. Um so think about that for a second for you and feel free to write in, where do you feel the safest? Is it in your car? Is it in your home? Is it in your office? Is it in your bed? Is it in your shower? Is it in your kitchen? Where do you feel the safest? And why? Why do you feel safe there? I have to say, um, you know, I love being home, I don't know. Um, I don't know that it's where I feel safest anymore, but for me, it's less about location as it is with people. I am, I feel safest when I am with my husband and my child. If we're, we're a little three and when we're together, I'm like, well, whatever comes, we're together. Do you know what I mean? And if that meant that we were in a car in a flood, I'd rather be together. That's where I feel the safest. Uh, now, if if I you know had to choose where we would be, I would choose for us to be at home. Sometimes in the last year, that has not necessarily felt totally safe. Um, you know, we uh, we live in a place where when there was rioting, um, the 
you know, the CVS around the corner for us from us was one of the ones that was burned down. You know, so there were moments when just being at home and just being with my family didn't feel entirely safe, but I would choose being with them over anything and I would choose being at home. Um, so what about you guys? Where do you feel the safest? Because it's going to feed into what we're going to talk about. And our topic for this week, our overreaching topic of this week, dun, da, 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 the topic of the week is trying something new. Um, and part of why this goes together with the question is that sometimes um, our kids and teens and adults on the spectrum, and those of you who are watching who are on the spectrum, please play in and tell me if I'm speaking truth or not. Um, there's a certain amount of anxiety. It's part of the ritualistic behavior. I think we all do ritualistic behavior to a certain extent, but it can be um, it can be something that gets out of control, ritualistic behavior. Uh, that for those of us who have OCD, it can be the thing where we have to check the stove five times or, or check the the lock five times on the door, right? Um, and that and that what that is is needing to feel safe, and that sometimes that makes it very hard for us to try something new because it doesn't feel safe. And I think it's super important that we understand that and have a respect for that. That when our kids are filled with fear, that we not just poo-poo that. I know people who are like, well, you just got to force them to do it. And then I know other people who are like, well, we're not making them do anything because they feel uncomfortable. And I would like to propose that there is middle ground that it's important that we stretch people and not leave them confined to a very small place because of anxiety, but that we not throw people into the deep end of the pool. I would like to suggest that there's something in the middle for us and for our children and for our teen children and our adult children, that we find um, that happy place. And sometimes you're going to step on one side or the other. Sometimes you're going to do something and you're going to go, ah, oh, I pushed him too hard. Uh, or sometimes you're going to go, oh, I should have pushed a little harder, right? I don't think that there's a magic formula to hit it out of the park every single time. But I think if we have awareness and respect for the individual, I think we will always do something better. And by the way, I think it's important to do that for us. Sometimes we get into a rigid thing where we go, I'm doing this, but it's important to check every once in a while and go, is that working? And who's that working for? I always give the example about when a plane takes off from Los Angeles and it goes to New York, do you know that over half the time it's off course? Because the wind buffets it here and buffets it there, or they need to go around this storm or whatever. But the, you know, the pilot is always checking in with the radio towers and, and adjusting course, always. So that they end up in New York. You know, how often does a plane take off from Los Angeles to New York and say, we're going to New York? And they go, oh, we went to South Carolina instead. It doesn't happen. Because they keep making course corrections because they see, I want to go to New York. How do I get there? And I think it's really important for all of us in our lives to be making course corrections and to notice, is what I'm doing working? And to not be afraid to try something new. That 
doesn't mean throwing everything out. I'm queen of that going, well, this isn't working. So let's try, you know, let's move, let's sell everything. You know, that's my instinct always, but that isn't effective either. It's a knowing, you know, that you can change incrementally things and have things uh, get better. Trying something new. Uh, okay, so I, I want to, I, I've got this other question that I want to address, but I want to start with what was written in here live. Four-year-old grandson with autism starting to hit grandma, father, grandfather, acting aggressive towards twin five-month-old brothers. Okay, so let's let's start there and and let's let's talk about what's on board, first of all. Um, that it sounds like, so if, if they've got twin five-month-old brothers, is this the first time that this four-year-old is a, um, a brother? Or are there other siblings, older or younger? And if you can write in and tell me. Uh, by the way, saying good morning to Dionysus, actually saying good afternoon, and saying hi to Alexis, who says the new vice president went to my high school a few years after me. That's super cool. Um, but for the, um, the granddad who's writing in, um, here's what I'm wondering. Imagine, let's go back to our question about what makes you feel safe and where do you feel safe? And what is my world like first brothers? Yeah. So what is my world? Cause I love Dr. Grant Pichet always says to us, it always has to be fair and it always has to be just. So we have to do big perspective taking and put ourselves into a four-year-old body, a four-year-old body who probably, if he's got an autism diagnosis, there is a deficit in communication, which means that his ability to take in information communication might be hampered and his ability to express what he's feeling and thinking and needs might be. And it might be that both of them are equally, um, you know, at a deficit or one might be more than the other. But let's let's all for a moment be a four-year-old, neurotypical or otherwise. What's my world like? What are my big things as a four-year-old? What do I enjoy? What makes me feel safe? Uh, what do I want more than anything else? And I think we can all agree that most four-year-olds, it's, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but most four-year-olds are still very in tune with one or both of their parents. Um, they you know, like, uh, they're going to feel safe with their parents. Um, and you know, they like to play and they like their toys, right? Now that may not describe him. He might be slightly different, but, um, but I think it's safe to say that if you are a four-year-old and you're an only child, then you're the star of the show. It's all about you. And, and there's nobody else. And for most four-year-olds on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, they, they cannot yet have the ability to perspective take to go, oh, I guess it's not about me anymore, right? It's, uh, it's me. I am the star of the show. So what happens when we bring in not one, but two baby brothers? And now it is no longer all about me. It is no longer, I'm no longer the star of the show. Used to be that I could, you know, go <laughs> and somebody would make me some lemonade. And now everybody's busy and everybody's ooing and eyeing over these little things that I don't really understand and I didn't order. And I think 
we can begin to see where they're, you know, because we're always looking for the antecedent, the what happened before. So when, when a kid starts hitting suddenly, we always go, what changed? And it feels like to me that a lot probably changed when we brought two new baby brothers in. And maybe he did okay for a little while because maybe everybody fussed over him and said, you're a big brother now. And maybe he liked the smell of the babies for a while, but you know, he thought they were going away. Like, you know, he didn't know it was like, oh, this is going to be around forever and no longer, I'm not going to be the cute one anymore. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. I don't, I don't know. But I think at this point, um, when hitting starts to happen, we have to look at it as communication and we have to act quickly. We have to get some experts in there. If this four-year-old has not yet started uh, early intensive ABA, this is really key for him right now. And, and if there is a BCBA already on the case, I would, I would call them up and ask for an emergency meeting and saying we are, because here's what happens with hitting. Hitting is a way of communicating. And we always talk about the four usual suspects. There's four reasons why people, four main reasons why anyone does anything repeatedly that's challenging behavior. And one is to get attention. So he might be hitting to get attention. One is to gain access to someone or something like, you know, I, I want mom to talk to me and she's talking to the babies. So I'm going to hit so that now mom will be yelling at me and that's me having mom's attention, right? Um, and I've got mom all to myself. She takes me to the bedroom and says, you can't do that. Well, whoo, I got exactly what I wanted, me talking to mom away from the babies. Another is to get, you know, we uh, challenging behavior can happen to escape something. And, you know, the sound of the baby's crying could be something that's sensory for him, or the sound of the baby's cooing could be something sensory for him. So he could be hitting so that he gets removed from the babies. If I hit the babies, they remove me from the babies, and now I don't have to be by the sound. And then the last one is uh, the one that's really important we talk about is that something is automatically reinforcing. There's something that feels good about it. So usually for hitting, it's going to start from one of the first three. But if you let it go, sometimes it then becomes something that feels good. It's like, well, you know, hit my hand against that. There's, you know, there's for some people that feels good. So we don't want it to get to that one because that's no bueno. So we want to deal with it really quickly. And how we deal with it is that an expert will look at it and go, it's probably a combo platter of the three. And they will train you and the family to be able to put things in his bucket ahead of time so that he is getting attention and that we teach him the right way to say, can I have some mom time? Um, but also giving him mom time without him asking for it, right? Making a special time of the day that's just about him where he gets to be the star of the show for that period of the day. But if he does any of the hitting behavior, the rewards don't happen. Um, and he doesn't get attention and he doesn't get access to mom that whatever it is that he's trying to get during those moments, we don't give it to him when he does this other behavior, but we give him everything under the sun if he appropriately asks for it. And with attention, we just give attention. If we see that something is attention driven, former school teacher and the kid in class, nine times out of 10, who was acting out, 
wanted attention. And if I put him on an attention diet, so he comes in the door before anything can happen. And I go, Woo, look who's here today. I love that shirt. You're looking fabulous today. Hey, which seat do you want to sit in today? Would you like to sit in the front row? Attention, attention. And he's like, what happened? Right. And every 30 seconds, I give that kid attention so that he doesn't ever need to act out. That's change of life, you know? So I, I would say you got to have an expert in looking at this, but you got to do it quickly because especially if he's trying to hit the baby's bad plan, right? Um, and it's going to get scary for everybody. But I can tell you, you can very quickly get this under control if you have the right expert. And if everybody in the family is on board with making sure that this little guy feels special and that he understands when I ask for attention, I can get it. And that sometimes it's all about me and that being a big brother is like super cool. Everybody thinks I'm fabulous because I'm a big brother. This is why they make those I'm a big brother t-shirts. And, you know, I would label everything big brother, like maybe, you know, whatever he loves, like, let's say he loves having breakfast with grandpa that we, you know, set aside a time every week where it's only big boy breakfast. It's just me and you. The babies can't come because it's just big boy breakfast, right? I would just be languaging all of that. Now, at four with autism, he may not yet understand that. It's okay. Language it anyway. It's big boy breakfast. You and I, it's just me and you. We're here and we don't talk about the babies and we're far removed from the babies because only big boys can be at the big boy breakfast. Um, it's rough. It's really, really rough. And I'm imagining in COVID, you know, talk about a handful, a four-year-old on the spectrum and two, you know, it's, it's a blessing, right? I love the t-shirts that always say, if you think my hands are full, you should see my heart, right? Um, Cause you got your hands full, but you got your heart full too. But what I love is what an amazing grad, granddad you are that you're writing in and saying, I'd like to be helpful in this situation. This, there's a lot of blessings here, right? And I know that with your help, um, you know, there's going to be times when this family is going to have to give attention to these five month old twins. But the fact that it isn't just one person, a single mom trying to take care of all three kids, you know, thank goodness, because that would be super. So you've got a lot of things in your corner here and a lot of ways that you can help her. Let me know, write to me and tell me if you think any of what I'm saying helps or applies or whatever, but please, if you haven't already, uh, ABA applied behavior analysis, you more than likely have insurance coverage for it. And that will give this little guy just the best start. And four is an amazing time to be doing intensive ABA with him. Amazing time to do ABA. That's what we did with my son. And, um, you know, my son, when he was four, uh, he, he was, by, by the time he was four, he started ABA when he was three. So by the time he was four, he had more language, but he still wasn't uh, caught up for language. But, um, you know, my son is a senior in high school and he's already gotten one college acceptance and we're waiting for the others. Um, fully verbal, you know, great, great kid. So get, get that ABA, make sure that they know to ask for intensive ABA and to make him available 
to do the hours for ABA. It might mean that somebody comes to the house, depending on where you live, it might mean that he goes to a center, but they, you want to talk about attention. ABA is, they'll fill his bucket with attention. They'll, and they'll wear him out, but that will be good. And he will be a good big brother. They will add in programs about how to be a good big brother. Um, and if you want, uh, I don't know if he's already doing ABA, but um, if he's not, let me know where you live. Uh, it might be that there's a center for autism and related disorders near you. There's a terrible shortage in therapists right now. I have to be honest with you, but fight to get these services. Now is a great time at four. Now, I wanted to take a second because we had a parent who wrote in a big, long question. Uh, I have it here that we were gonna to try to address yesterday um, with Dr. Doreen. Uh, but I wanna at least start to talk about it today with the understanding that I'm not an expert. But they, the question was, hello ladies, I would like to ask for help with my son who just a few weeks ago started having intense behaviors, which includes doing rituals like tapping on things, going back to step on the floor, running towards the door of the house, running to the kitchen wall. He's also crying out of nowhere screaming, asking for help, saying things like, don't take me and I don't want to die. When my husband or myself try to stop him from doing some of the rituals, he becomes aggressive towards us or himself. I'm not sure where all this behavior came from, but it all started around Christmas time. Prior to the behavior starting, he had a dental procedure to remove two baby teeth that were not coming out on their own and adult teeth were already growing in. The experience was traumatic for the, um, tra traumatic. Uh, he had to, for two, for the two, he had to be strapped down because he was trying to hit. He had never had any procedure like that done before. The whole time from the start to the finish, he cried, screamed, and asked for help. It was the most traumatizing day. I swear, I feel like all these behaviors started days after the dentist. He has never had such rigid behaviors before. He seems scared and super anxious. It almost looks like he has panic attacks a few times a day. I asked him the other day if, uh, after he had somewhat calmed down why he was squeezing his head. And he replied that he heard a chin chin type of sound and that he wanted to touch his brain. He also added that he couldn't put his body back together. And after that, there were a lot of, uh, and after that, that there were a lot of sick, sick people dying. Please help me. This is terrible, really terrible seeing him like this. He looks so lost and almost like he couldn't control his body or brain. Please, I don't know what to do to help him. Uh, I don't know how much longer I can see him like that. Uh, so, uh, okay. This is why I don't want to wait. I want to talk about a bunch of different things here, um, but let's see if we can't uh, have a path for this parent to uh, be able to help her child. First of all, um, I think it's really important that you call your pediatrician and have them test him for PANDAS. PANDAS is P-A-N-D-A-S. And PANDAS is a sudden, it's the hallmark of it is sudden onset of anxiety and it's a, I believe it's a blood test that they do and it's an antibiotic that could potentially help if this is what he has. Now, uh, it's a type, I'm, I'm just not sure whether it's a type of viral or uh, I think it's a virus, but your dog, your pediatrician will know. 
And if your pediatrician doesn't know, ask them to refer you to someone who does know. You can look it up online and learn much more about PANDAS, P-A-N-D-A-S. But what you're describing, this very sudden onset, um, a lot of times kids will, will have this after um, having uh, an illness. Um, but I wonder if it's possible if you know, the removal of the teeth, maybe there's an infection. I don't know, but I think you, you need to call your pediatrician immediately about that. The other thing that I want you to consider is uh, I don't, I don't know if you're already doing ABA, but I really think you need to be doing ABA with this child. Um, and we'll talk about all the reasons why and, and how those of you who are watching can hopefully prevent this kind of thing happening through the use of ABA. But um, but I also think that you probably need to talk to a clinical psychologist because your child has suffered trauma. And again, just like we did at the beginning of the show, I want us, I don't remember if you said how old he is, but I want, you know, we're all, all of us, I assume, watching this adults. I want you to think for a second, uh, okay, you have to go to the dentist today and you have to have teeth removed. Um, it's traumatic, right? Uh, I don't think you say what age he is. It's traumatic. Having teeth removed is a very traumatic thing, but you and I understand the process. Okay, first, they're gonna give me a horrible shot that's gonna feel terrible. And then my, my cheek is gonna go numb which is also a very unpleasant feeling. And they might be, you know, or they might be giving me gas. And a lot of our kids have trauma related to gas because they don't understand what's happening, that they have hallucinations in the gas and, and they, you know, they feel a loss of control. They don't feel like they're in their body. Some of the things that your child is describing and some of our kids, and in fact, some people in general have long lasting effects from the gas. And if they don't have a way to put sense of it in their brain, it's horrifying. It's absolutely trauma. So I think you need, uh, I think you probably need a clinical psychologist to help you to language it for this child on the spectrum about what happened. You might want to make a social story after the fact now about, um, you know, what happens at the dentist and, and whatever, you know, but you're going to have to go slowly because it might traumatize him right now. Like you might have to start, you might have to do systematic desensitization, which is why I think you should be with an expert, a clinical psychologist to help them to work through all of the different aspects. And Amanda says, um, yeah, my son will not put on that mask now. So, you know, we're going to have to do some back work to fix what happened. But if you think about it, um, you know, if, if people walked into your house today, grabbed you, took you and strapped you and got in your mouth and were giving you shots and, and, or, and giving you a gas that made you hallucinate, it's traumatizing, right? So, um, you know, I want you to hug yourself first because I'm sure that you feel horrible that your child has been through this. And, and I want to tell you that, you, you know, you're a good parent. You didn't do anything wrong. But I want to say to everybody else that's out there, if you know you're going to have to do a big medical procedure, there's a whole bunch of things you can do beforehand so that maybe this doesn't happen. 
And if you had a good ABA team, you know, I've seen good ABA teams that like make a dentist's office. Or if we know that a kid is going in to have their tonsils out, they, you know, they make the, the whole surgery prep. They even sometimes take a, not in COVID, but they take a, you know, a field trip to the hospital and go, this is where they'll wheel you in. And they make a storybook about this is going to happen. And this is going to feel weird. And you're going to have a dream and it might be a strange dream. It's okay. It's just a dream. Right. And depending on the child's ability to understand, they will tailor it because some kids are too little to understand even what a dream is. Right. So but now, you know, that's for people who are like, "Ooh, I don't want this to happen. Right. Um, there are things you can do beforehand to get a child ready for this. The horse has already left the gate on this one, but we got to really do everything that we can for this young man. And. I would I would guess too that what's happening in his little body is that this was so scary that he's got an overload of cortisol and he's going to have to like slowly be brought down so that every time something happens, he doesn't feel like he's going to be strapped to a chair and have this happen again. Because if it happened once, he's probably worried that it's going to happen again. So I think if you're working with a clinical psychologist on that part of it, of uh, how to talk to him about it and say this, this will not happen again. That, you know, we're not doing that again. And even, you know, depending on his understanding is saying, I'm, I'm sorry that it scared you, but this is not happening again. Um, you know, uh, but, and Amanda's saying they give him a pre-anesthesia, but for some of our kids, the anesthesia is traumatizing. So, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, we'll just put him out. But the whole process of, oh, somebody put a thing on me and now I cease to exist for a period of time and I don't know what happened can be traumatizing for some of our kids. So I think it's really important to do the, the proper work beforehand. If you've ever had to go and do something that, that's like really traumatic and afterwards you go, somebody should have told me that it was this, it was this, it was this, right? We all do better like fire drills. Why do we do fire drills? Because in an actual fire, we're too panicked to know what to do. So, but our body remembers and says, it's okay. It normalizes it. So, oh, they give him a pill that's pre-anesthesia. Oh, okay. I like that. Uh, okay. But so I, I definitely think today, call the pediatrician, ask about pandas. Because literally, if it's pandas, an antibiotic is going to help him immediately. But I don't think it's just pandas. I think that the child has trauma and I think you're going to need a clinical psychologist to help you with that. Um, don't think that you can just do it on your own. Uh, there's a, on your insurance card, uh, on the back, there's uh, a, a number to call for, I think it's supposed to be on all cards now for mental health. Call them today and say, I need a referral. My child is, and say, he went to the dentist you know, we think that he's traumatized. He, you know, is still like really having trouble dealing with the thing. Can I just be honest? Cause you guys know that I'm very honest. Um, when I had my son, they took me in to do a C-section and they had told me everything about it. I'd never had a surgery before. Um, but it was traumatizing. Uh, I had a bunch of, I, I don't take you know, like for me to take a Tylenol is an event. Like I don't take medicines because my body doesn't respond well to it. And they, ha they had me drugged up. They gave me a spinal and I was drugged to the hilt. 
And one of the drugs started to make me nauseous. And I, you know, I, I panicked, right? They had me strapped to a table and they had two linebacker. They got the two biggest orderlies because they knew I was going to be a problem holding each one of my arms. My husband was there. I knew what they were doing. I was an adult woman who understood that I had a big baby and they had to do the C-section. I couldn't see anything, but I felt, you know, them tugging the baby out of me. I was, couldn't wait to be a mother, but I had trauma from that event and I had to go to a counselor and weekly talk through it. And she would say to me, what's the problem? And I would say, I just keep having these night daymares where I'm strapped to a table and, um, and I can't move, I can't run. And, you know, they take my baby away from me. And she was like, well, that did happen. (laughs) Oh, like, like, but, but you're adding a trauma into it that didn't happen. They didn't take your baby away from you. They took your baby out of you and then they gave him. And so she just had to rework that memory in my head. Um, because I was having panic attacks that, I was going to be strapped to a table and be numb and not be able to run. And they would take my baby away from me. The brain is a very interesting thing. The other thing I want to tell you as you're looking for someone to help your child is ask them if they've got somebody who can do EFT tapping with your child. I'm going to get somebody to come on here and talk with you guys about EFT tapping. It's, it's what they use for uh, war veterans to help them to deal with trauma. It is more effective than any medicine. It looks like mumbo jumbo, but the darn thing works. They've done so many studies on it. It's mainstream now. Your insurance will pay for it. And it's a tapping thing where they teach your child when they're having anxiety to tap and it rewires the brain. I don't know why. We'll have somebody on to talk about it. But when you're looking for somebody, say, I, I need someone who can do EFT tapping. It's been, I, I know a lot of autism parents who've been working on it with their children and it really helps with anxiety and trauma. I know. Um, so EFT tapping, but I hope that you get some real help uh, because I think your child is in pain and you're in pain watching him and we don't want that. All right. We are out of time. In fact, we're past time. I think, uh, Trayvon was just about to get the hook, but let me say for tomorrow, uh, we are back tomorrow with, um, I think we have Vince Redmond tomorrow. I'm not hundred percent positive, but yes, we have Vince Redmond tomorrow on Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. So perhaps we will continue talking about these or other things. And if you have questions that you want for an LMFT, please feel free to write those into us either tonight on our autism-live.com or uh, you can email them to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Let me not leave you without saying we would really appreciate it if you like what we have going on here. Please make sure that you like us on Facebook. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube. You know, uh, tweet about us. Uh, you know what, subscribe to the channel on our homepage, autism-live.com so that you can get our weekly schedule of what's happening every week. Um, you know, but tell other people this show only exists because people watch it and we don't want to have to, um, you know, people keep telling us we should do a subscription thing. And I keep saying over my dead body. 
but I want to stay on the air. And so the more viewers we have, the more likely that we will do that. And, you know, our mission is to help people. And I don't have a budget to uh, tell people through, you know, advertisements. So we count on you to tell other people to keep us going and to make it. uh, We are not on Patreon. John, and I, I, I guess it's something that we can consider, but we really don't want you to pay money. Uh, can I be honest about that? Like, I, I don't want you guys to have to spend any money. So what I would rather you do is recommend us. That's really what I'm asking for, or subscribe or like, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, because I would prefer not, not to take any of your money. And I don't know, maybe that's weird, but that's how I feel. Uh, all right. So I adore you all. We will be back tomorrow until then. Uh, please give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Until then. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for watching Autism Live. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.